right? I mean, like, this whole thing is just yuck. In addition to the fact that we don't see the Steelers playing to get to 4-0 this weekend against another 3-0 team that I think they would have clobbered, we also have to get all back into coronavirus versus sports and vice versa and everything else and just yuck. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. The Steelers and Titans were delayed indefinitely is probably the best way to word it with the NFL making it very clear they won't participate in any semblance of a week four game. No Monday, no Tuesday, no nothing. In all likelihood, they'll end up moving this to the team's respective bye weeks by switching some things around. That means week seven, week eight. It also means the Steelers are currently on their bye week, even though they can't realistically achieve what the labor agreement says needs to happen in order to qualify for a bye week and all that other stuff. You know, I'm tempted to just at this point adopt Mike Tomlin's stance on this when some of the scheduling challenges and so forth were brought up with him yesterday, and he came back with these four words. We do not care. I don't necessarily believe him, but it sure sounds good, right? Like, whatever. Uh, Week four buys do happen. They have happened within the past decade, not just in emergency settings. It's not the most freakish thing that's ever occurred. It's not ideal. Neither is finishing with seven out of ten on the road, although we'll see how much or how little being on the road even matters, depending on how much or how little fans are allowed to participate in those endeavors. I'd rather just take the Tomlin stance and look at some positives here. Look at something going into this bye week while you're watching everybody else ram helmets against each other uh, and say, what are things that you can appreciate about the Steelers to this point? This would have been the quarter point of their season. And I'm going to start with a a couple of things that are actually related to this postponement. One of them being that Deontay Johnson has a chance, an excellent chance now, to get healthy. He, of course, was diagnosed with a concussion after that nine-yard end-around in the Houston game. Really took a hit, too. But he was out on the field yesterday at practice in the south side. Uh, Helmet on, the whole deal. There's no way that happens if he hasn't been cleared through protocol, even though the Steelers aren't permitted to announce that. So that's that's a big, big plus right there. Um, That's not a player that you wanted to see putting himself into a position, let's say, to rush back out against Tennessee, maybe risk jarring it. Who knows? The Steelers have a chance to get back to 
being completely healthy. Um, I, I don't know about Derek Watt, but I'm talking about players who are starters on offense and defense. So that's one. I, I'll take another one. There's a part of me that doesn't mind Ben Roethlisberger in particular getting a chance to just kind of sit back, watch a weekend of football, and maybe in his own way kind of review the three weeks that he's had. Each week being better than the one before it. I kind of like that. He he was the one who was talking, you'll recall, all through training camp about being nervous or uh, his knees shaking uh, and, and, and trembling at times when he went out there. And you never know how much with Ben. Ben loves to sound dramatic at times. Uh, you never know how much of that was legit. But he probably wasn't saying it for nothing. And he probably wasn't saying it to all of his teammates and to Randy Feetner and everybody else that talked about it for nothing. So he did it. He came back. He ended up, through those three games, playing some of the best quarterbacking we've seen from him, you know, since the last time we saw him, you know, which is what you wanted to see. He's still not completely on with the deep ball. That part of his game, I'm sure, can still come, but we also saw a couple of those. We saw him become more acclimated with Deontay. Uh, not just in games, but also in practices, which was my number one goal for him coming back, was that he would find a little bit of a security blanket. And hopefully that would have been Deontay because Deontay's style is similar to that of Antonio Brown. That's great stuff. The fact that Ben was able to connect in this last game with his tight ends, really, for the first time, notably Eric Ebron, I thought that was a positive. That's something good that they can carry through this extra time that they have off. Juju Smith-Schuster has looked like a big-time player again. Can the offense still get better? Sure. The offensive line has done good things in spurts, but with David DeCastro back in the last game, it got that much stronger. Can James Washington be an even bigger part of this offense? Yes, and I hope that that happens sooner rather than later. Because he can give you some of that deep downfield, big catch capability, combat catch, as everybody likes to say in association with number 13. Get him a little bit more involved. In fairness to Ben and to Coach Randy, it's not easy getting all of these people integrated into this offense. But, yet again, to reiterate, maybe having that little bit of time off allows for a bit of extra introspection at, at a pretty decent time of year for that, for this particular group and for this particular quarterback. Defensively, the positives just overflow when it comes to splash because you're talking about T.J. Watt, who, by the way, is on the cover of Sports Illustrated, which, by the way, still exists. I was jarred 
yesterday in seeing a copy of the uh, online, of course, of the cover of SI that's got TJ on it with a focus on his being the master of the strip sack. And I was remembering, like, when that used to be a really big deal. Wow, one of the Steelers is on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Now my reaction was, wow, there's a Sports Illustrated still. TJ has been arguably even better than he was last year. Bud Dupree has been just as effective. He's taken some knocks over this past week. that He shouldn't. That was entirely by design what he was doing, which was to contain the run and to keep Deshaun Watson from getting to the outside and messing things up. He did exactly what he was told to do for the team. But what's missing here from this defense, and I didn't mean to overlook the line. It's been great with Cam Hayward and Stephon Tuitt and, and, of course, Tyson Alualu, a very pleasant surprise in how well he's assimilated to nose tackle. I don't mean to leave any of those guys out. What What's missing from the defense, and again, I think this is a case where the introspection, the extra time, the extra brain space, if you will, could allow everybody involved, but obviously Keith Butler and Mike Tomlin above anyone, is to get the two facets of the defense working in better harmony. We see the excellent pass rush, and we see the opportunistic nature of the secondary. What we're not seeing is them in concert. And I think the Houston game really underscored that. Houston decided to come out in the first half and play against the secondary. They ran all kinds of crossing routes and, and doing were doing things to confuse uh, the corners, the safeties, to get Minka Fitzpatrick out of the game. And it succeeded right up until the Steelers started dropping more people into coverage and just going with a standard four-man rush. Uh, to their credit, it worked. To the credit of the of the rush in particular, it worked. So that when Deshaun ended up throwing, he looked up and he saw, you know, seven black jerseys out there. You don't even have to have good coverage. If you've got that many bodies out there, you just have to wait for a ball to come flying in your general direction. There's still some sync button that needs to be hit there. There's a ton of talent. There's a a fair amount of give and take, meaning when the coverage is good, the pass rush has more of a chance to get back to the quarterback uh, and vice versa. But not enough. Not enough. When I look at the Steelers' most surprising, if not necessarily disturbing, shortcoming, as a defense in the first three weeks, uh, that's it. They have given up points, and they've given up points to teams that really shouldn't have scored points on them, to quarterbacks who really shouldn't have made plays on them. It's not going to be enough to just say, we have all these demons up front, we're just going to tell them to pin their ears back and go after it. There has to be more to it. No pun intended, Stefan. I didn't mean to do that. There just has to be more to it. There really does. There has to be uh, more of the harmony that we saw last year with the defense, where one set up the other. Uh, I'm not sure where that comes from, 
But I have a feeling that the two players who will be individually most responsible for any such thing will be Devin Bush and Minka Fitzpatrick. If that means trying different things with Minka instead of just constantly having him out in center field as some scary monster to the other quarterback that you can't throw anywhere near Minka because he had a bunch of interceptions last year, uh, so be it. Move him around. Don't make him so predictable. Remember, that's what he loves anyway. That's what he's always pushing for. Let's see some different looks from him. Devin Bush has been dropped back an awful lot, and and I do understand that. When you're blitzing a lot, the other team is going to want to dump off screen passes uh, and to throw right over the line of scrimmage. The reason that they haven't been able to is Devin Bush. I know some people are down on him for not having splash yet either, but that's what he's been doing, and he's been doing it by all accounts extremely well. Those two guys, more than anybody else, I think are going to be the glue for this. They're going to produce their splash out of it, and that's fine, and that's going to get everybody uh, who just casually watches football excited. Hey, look, they're back. They've been playing well all along. But the bigger deal is going to be that this defense won't have holes exposed the way they'd been through the first three weeks. That's the kind of thing that you want to see the Steelers reflecting on, thinking about during this time off. Look, man, they're 3-0. and They're 3-0. and They're heading into a run of two more home games now. And, again, I mean, we'll see whether or not Pennsylvania allows fans. You'd think if that would happen, it would happen for this coming game since it would be both Pennsylvania teams, Steelers and Eagles at Heinz Field. And if that happens, you know, the Steelers will have a nice little bit of a break. No travel, no nothing here for a while. Four straight home games for the first time in forever. It doesn't have to be all all bad out of this. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of bad that's there. But I think there are also some positives to it. When we come back, the Penguins trade market for Matt Murray just got a little more complicated. We won't see hockey again for quite a while. I I don't think we're going to see it until January. But man, are we about to get hit with avalanche again no pun intended of hockey developments over the coming week this portion of daily shot is always brought to you by luxembourg garbett kelly and george that's a personal injury law firm in our region that represents people who are hurt in car accidents who need help with workers comp and medical malpractice claims The attorneys at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. It's important to them that when they make you a promise, they keep that promise. And this law firm has been keeping promises for over 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. You can learn more at lgkg.com or by calling 888 842 5454. I'm going to give you the number again because this time I'm also going to ask you 
to let Larry Kelly know that you heard it from us. Larry's my man. 888-842-5454. The NHL's draft is October 6th and 7th. It's, of course, going to be done virtually. It was going to be in Montreal where the draft used to be held forever. And the draft is going to be whatever for Penguins fans, as they usually are. The Penguins don't pick until 77th. Um, and, yeah, that's in the third round. So, I mean, we'll see if they can, if Jim Rutherford can pull off adding someone else. But the biggest thing that Jim Rutherford has to pull off is a trade of Matt Murray. Now, Jim's already made it known that he'll be looking for a draft pick in return for Murray. He hasn't said which round or whatever. He's not going to do that publicly. But obviously, he's going to be going for a first-rounder. When you see the Montreal Canadiens add Jake Allen in a trade with the Blues for a third-rounder, and Jake Allen might be one of the worst regular goaltenders in the NHL, he's got every right to be shooting high. However, there remains the not-at-all small matter of the fact that Matt Murray would have to be acquired via trade, and there are just so many goaltenders hitting the open market, meaning the truly open market, unrestricted free agency. Yesterday, Steve Eiserman and the Red Wings told Jimmy Howard that his services will no longer be welcome in Detroit. Now, say what you want about Howard. This was the most shell-shocked goaltender in the league uh, by an unfortunately broad margin. I I don't know the, the last time I'd watched a goaltender in action the way I did Howard and just felt such sympathy for the guy. Just He faced so many shots, so many high-grade chances. Never had a chance in most games. And as a result he would give up some bad goals. Who knows what he would look like behind a competent defensive team? Who knows if it's too late? Who knows if he's too old? He's 35. But he's another name. And that list includes, in no particular order, Craig Anderson, Corey Crawford, Brian Elliott, Thomas Grice, Braden Holtby, who just won a cup. Anton Kadobin, who almost just won a cup. Jacob Markstrom, who looked outstanding in Vancouver. Mike Smith, Cam Talbot. Henrik Lundqvist is out there. I mean, I just covered one-third of the league, depending on where these guys could land. That's not to say that they're all equal. That's not to say that they're all great. That's not to say that they're... Better or worse than Matt Murray, although I can tell you right now, I would take probably three or four of these guys for sure ahead of Matt Murray. Maybe more. So why, why, if you're a team that's out there, would you say to Jim Rutherford, can we give you a really high draft pick for this player? I, I'm not I'm not seeing that, but then I also didn't understand what the heck Mark Bergevin was doing in Montreal to give up a third rounder for Jake Allen. Like, they had to know something. Maybe they know that these goaltenders 
are going to come with exorbitant and unrealistic prices. That's possible. That part is possible. You know, Andre Vasilevsky in Tampa, who of course just won the Cup, signed a massive extension with Tampa Bay that gets him roughly $9 million a year. Sergei Bobrovsky signed a very similar deal with the state of Florida's other team, the Panthers, and a lot of players, and from what I've heard, Matt Murray's one of them, saw that and went, whoa, hey, cha-ching. This is where the market is. Well, guess what? That might be where the market was when those guys signed. But we're in a new world on a lot of fronts. And the NHL having frozen its salary cap for the next couple of years at $81.5 million, that doesn't even take into account what might actually transpire in the coming season, meaning half-full arenas, another renegotiated labor deal to try to adjust to that. Who knows? Who knows? But the last thing, I can promise you this, that you're going to see is someone other than Edmonton doing something stupid. I always have to throw other than Edmonton inside parentheses especially when it comes to goaltending. I, I can't picture somebody, not even for Holtby. Holtby, to me, is the, is the class of this group. I know he wasn't at his best for Washington this past season, but I'll take Braden Holtby over anybody I just mentioned here, including Murray. And I can't see Holtby getting the paydays that the two guys in Florida got. I just can't. But I also can't see somebody then going to the Penguins and saying, hey, we're going to give you a high draft pick while Matt Murray's a restricted free agent and has at least sent vibes through his agent that he's also in that stratosphere or that he thinks that he's also in that stratosphere as far as pay goes. I don't mean to sound disrespectful with any of this. Maybe he is. Maybe they do deserve all this money and whatever else. I'm just talking about what's real, what's realistic in this market at this time. I don't know how Jim Rutherford is going to get some kind of high pick for Matt Murray. The, the emphasis that, that Jim and understandably he's done this, has put on this, has been, well, that Murray's young and the rest of these guys are older. Well, that's true, but think about who you're dealing with to make such a trade. You're dealing almost entirely with teams who believe that they're on the cusp of competing for the Stanley Cup. That's just, that's just what it is. You're not going to see, oh, I don't know, an Ottawa or somebody else that's that's building up say, wow, we really want to give up a first or a second round pick for Matt Murray so that we can sign him for a lot of years so that we can grow with him. That's not going to happen. That's not realistic. Taking this further, I don't think it's realistic that the Penguins can trade Murray before this draft, at least not for a high pick if that's what Rutherford is still 
shooting for when we get to that point. I look at this draft that's coming up. Again, this is in a week. And look at all these names that are here. Look at all these names. How how would Matt Murray step to the front of this line? I, I don't see it. I don't mean to purposely uh, lower the expectations or lower the bar for you know where this should go here. I'm, I'm just, again, I'm trying to be realistic here, and I, I don't see something here that looks all that promising for the Penguins. When we come back, baseball and payroll. Welcome back, including today with baseball. And no, I did not watch any of the playoff games. I won't be doing that. It's not some boycott thing or whatever. I just genuinely don't care. (laughs) I don't care how that sounds either. (laughs) Um, All my life I've paid attention to baseball from a Pittsburgh perspective and not really deviated from that. However... It came across my attention that the Cincinnati Reds were eliminated in two games in a best-of-three series and failed to score a run, and I just can't pass that one up. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank and their new program, their new drive, called GrowShareThrive.org. They're looking to expand the food bank's ability to reach people, ability to serve people, their ability to make things easier when it comes to finding the food that they need. In normal times, one in seven people in our region don't know where their next meal is coming from. That includes one in five children. Imagine what those figures are now in a pandemic. Help out. Visit growsharethrive.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. Back, way back to the last actual baseball offseason, meaning like last November and December, and the Reds started spending all kinds of money. And the general thinking was, not just in Pittsburgh, but around, you know, around baseball was, whoa, look at the Reds. They're serious. They, they really, they, they see something here. And to their credit, the Reds did have uh, and do have a couple of, you know, terrific pitchers in their rotation in Trevor Bauer, Luis Castillo. They obviously have Joey Votto. And they added some bats to that. They went out and spent some money. And everybody, especially in Cincinnati, got all fired up. But there was some of that here as well. Look at the Reds. Even the Reds are spending now. At least the Reds care. At least the Reds are trying. And then the Reds end up going 31-29 and 29 in the regular season, barely qualifying for a greatly expanded playoffs and then they just get stomped right out of the playoffs uh, in this wild card round by the Atlanta Braves. 
there's a, a lesson to be had in there, and I don't want to take this too far as a criticism because it is commendable that that Cincinnati committed the resources that it did. It's commendable when that happens. Uh, in any team that is generally a small revenue operation, like the Reds are based in a smaller market than Pittsburgh. But you got to do it at the right time. You got to do it at the right time. And the Reds forever and ever have been that franchise that has attached way too much importance to a player or two and said, now, now, now. And then they lose their minds and they go and they spend a bunch of cash and everyone loves them for it in the offseason, and then virtually nothing comes of it once the games actually start. The Reds were picked to finish first by a lot of experts just because they went out and got some players who are brand names, and they spent some serious dollars to do it. Never mind that the Cardinals are always there. Uh, the Cubs still have their core of talent. The Brewers still have theirs. A lot of people picked the Reds just because they got all wound up. I, I, I've likened the Reds to the Browns in the NFL repeatedly, where they just win off seasons, you know, and it's just, everyone goes, whoa, yeah, look at that. Wow, that's fantastic. Can't wait to start playing ball. And then nothing really comes of it. And if that had happened in Pittsburgh, and I know, go ahead and get your laughter out of the way, but let's say the Pirates had just went nuts. Bob Nutting says, that's it. We're going. We're going to raise payroll to $120 million where it's never been before. Go out and get your free agents and get it done. If he had done that this past offseason, the Pirates would have been 31-29 and 29 and probably would have gotten wiped out of the playoffs in a manner similar to what just happened to the Reds. And nothing else really would have come of it. Then you have those contracts, and then those players get older, and then you have a hard time moving them, and then that ties up your payroll. Then the owner gets upset, and the owner wonders why everything's going wrong, and the owner wants to fire people. And then the cycle starts all over again. Somebody gets impatient and does this again. I'm not suggesting that the Pirates... Uh, particularly Nutting, who's obviously the main holdover from the previous regime, since you know he kind of owns the whole thing. I'm not suggesting that they've got this all figured out. I'm not suggesting that 2020 was any kind of step forward. I have said repeatedly and emphatically it was a step backward, if only because of what happened with Brian Reynolds, Kevin Newman, Josh Bell, a couple of other potentially important pieces. Those guys regressing hurts so bad. But the Pirates at least have what I believe is the right idea. Ben Charrington specifically has what I believe is the right idea. He wants to create a minor league system that has an influx, a significant influx of high-ceiling type talent. 
players who might be complete busts, but also, given their raw skill sets, can be stars. Players who aren't necessarily safe bets from a scouting standpoint. Players that have enough quality clay to them, if you will, that good instruction can mold them into something. So when I hear Ben Charrington say a couple days ago to us in a media call that he's looking plain and simple to do a, a massive reorganization of development, of instruction, that he wants to bring elite instruction in. He wants to have everything be, he, he, man, he uses this term all the time, player-centric, player-centric, player-centric. Everything is focused on improving the player, singular. Build up these high-ceiling players into high-ceiling performers at the major league level. That is the right thing to do. And then you need to have them in quantity. And then from there, when you have enough of them in Pittsburgh for it to matter, and it really actually shouldn't take that long if you do this right, once you have them in Pittsburgh, that, that is when you look and say, all right, now we're missing three or four guys. And you go to the owner and you say, now, remember what you told us when you hired us? And by that, I'm referring not only to Ben Sherrington, but also to Travis Williams. Remember what you said? And Bob Nutting has told them this. The money will be there when they need it. If you don't spend it now, there will be more of it later. I know 99.99999% of everybody listening to this is going, there's no way that's ever going to happen. But these guys didn't take these jobs for nothing. They didn't leave really, really good positions with other teams for nothing. They were told this. They were promised this. Until I see some reason for it not to be the case, I'll believe it. Not based on what Nutting says, but based on what they say. That's when you go and you spend that money. Not when you're the Reds looking to just try to make Joey Votto happy and to see what you can pull off for a year. That's when you go and you fill it out and you say, all right, listen, now we have this team at this price, at this payroll, and all we need to do is add two or three guys. We can do that. We can get any two or three guys, anyone. Let's load it up. Let's just go for it. That's when you do it. That's when you do it. People who don't understand that aren't looking around and seeing how the more successful teams are built. Meaning in this economically imbalanced system, I'm not suggesting everyone can do it the way the Dodgers and the Yankees do it. It's an unfair game. You have to play it differently. You're playing by a different set of rules. The Reds every once in a while forget that. I hope that the Pirates don't. Thanks so much for listening to this. Have a terrific weekend. We'll talk again on Monday. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. 
safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.